Well, we are in the book of Nahum, chapter 3, verse 13, in a sermon I've titled, Sometimes the Truth Hurts, But It's Right. Now, we got to eat yesterday with uh, Brother Buck Carr, celebrating tomorrow's going to be his 100th birthday. And uh, I tell you what, uh, we were there, and uh, that guy, that guy still, I mean, he looks a lot younger than what he is. And, and <laughs> I told him, I says, I've come to yours, now you come to my 100th birthday. And uh, he said he would. Uh, so that's something. And Mr. and Mrs. Lloyd even came to our party. That, that was great. I don't know what we did to him, but he signed up for another 20 years to teach the other class, okay? So, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, we had a great time there yesterday and just uh, with, with him. All right, our text is Nahum chapter 3 and verse 13. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this verse today, Lord, I know it centers in Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian kingdom, but uh, Lord, that whole kingdom's going to fall. And there are things here, Lord, that in today's society is very offensive to many people, even people that name the name of Christ. But we will not apologize for preaching your truth. It is right. And we know that there's a day of accountability when men need to know that it was right. Now, if there's one in this auditorium today who does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And we'd ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, if you look at the title of this message, sometimes the truth hurts, but it's right. Uh, and, and, and it does, and especially in today's society, people will get angry. But when a Bible preacher preaches the whole counsel of God, he's probably going to offend modern society. Naming the name of Jesus Christ today seems to be a no-no to much of this society. So really, I don't like negative response. Don't look forward to it. But... We're going to preach the truth, and we're not going to apologize for it. Uh, the ones that need to apologize are the ones who do not like the truth. We want to preach the Word of God as it is to men as they are. And that's the call that each preacher has upon him. I was listening to uh, our radio station this morning, and, and Dr. Mike Ellison, he's a pastor up in Madison, Alabama, also speaks at the Sword of the Lord Conference each year. But uh, Pastor Ellison was telling about a friend that uh, was a pastor and said the pastor stood up in his church on Sunday evidently and said, uh, any of you parents that are letting your daughters go out in miniskirts are either ignorant or immoral. He says, when I get done, you'll no longer be ignorant. They took a vote and fired the pastor. 
okay? And, and people do not like the truth. It's fine as long as it doesn't affect them. But yet, the preacher has responsibility. Noah was called the preacher of righteousness in the Bible, and yet he was not popular with his society. Stephen also preached the truth as it is to men as they are, and they stoned him until he was dead, even though he was praying for the ones that were stoning him. The Apostle Paul and the mission team that traveled with him, they had to leave town many times. They were stoning them. They, got, they received beatings. They, they had to sneak out of town or be killed. All for preaching and teaching the word of God as it is to men as they are. You see, it's not that God is leaving the Christian today. It's seems that so many are leaving the Lord and His way and His truth. It's Christians who have traded the truth of God in order to have either societal or family peace. But my friend, that's too great a cost for peace because that peace is not in the heart and it does not endure. And it spells the loss of eternal reward. It means shameless at the return of Jesus Christ. While seeing a host of loved ones falling over that societal precipice of acceptance with society. Falling over that precipice into an eternal lake of fire. Because we did not want to offend them. Now, as we look to our text, we see here a warning about women. Now, you say, Pastor, you shouldn't be preaching that so close to Mother's Day. <laughs> I know, but uh, we're talking about the deacons of bulletproofing up here, all right? But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, this is where we are in the study, and so we're not going to avoid it because we are there. Now, in verse 13, he says, Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. Now, at times, the word people can refer to, in the Bible, a, a group of people. It can be an, an ancestral group. It can be a religious group. What determines which it is, uh, of what it may refer to, is the context of the passage. That's where it comes, is from the context. One of the keys to this verse found in Hebrew as well as the Jewish culture and life of that day is found in the word midst, the people in the midst of thee. Because that was the word that was used so often in referring to the leadership of a place. When the leadership, they would use this word in the Hebrew and it, it, it was the decision makers in a town in a city, in a, in a village, in a, in, in a country. And looking at Nineveh, the decision makers were the women that held offices. Now, they had a king. They had a king. But many of the women ran the day-to-day -day things that were there in that society. So we're just laying out what the Bible is trying to teach to us here. And... In that day, when referring to leadership, those that made the decisions, when it was women 
It was a sign of weakness for that community, for that country, whatever it may be. That was a sign of weakness for them when they were in charge of the governance of the people. And if you're listening by radio or internet, it's uh, keep those large and uh, those cards and letters coming dot com. Okay, now when boys are raised in a feminized society and not taught to be men of both virtue and valor, they're not taught that, then they do not take leadership and fulfill the duties of manhood in a society in order to protect it or to govern it. And before too long, you have rioting in the streets, you have crime increasing, you have all kinds of things of that nature going on. When men do not rise up to do their God-ordained duty, women will do it. In the Old Testament, it was considered to be weakness and a mockery of no backbone men. You remember Deborah and Barak? Barak, I guess the way you'd say that, but they were, Deborah and Barak, they, they, they were going to lead the Israelites. And Barak, great man of a man, I mean a man's man, he says to Deborah, I'm not going to fight those guys if you won't go with me. He doesn't, so she goes with them. And the guy that heads the other army, the big general, the guy that's going to just led them to victory after victory gets killed by a woman. And Barak was told that's what's going to happen because you won't take the leadership that God has given you. And that was in the period of the judges during the time of Israel's weakness. And so it is up to men to lead. In the Bible, it represented the decline of a nation. For example, in Israel, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, God says this, For my people, children, are their oppressors. Now, don't you see that today with the rebellion among children in all across our society. That was a, that's not a new thing. That was happening back in that day. Israel ends up in captivity. And a hundred years after this is written, they've been warned, amply warned, but they're going to be in captivity. He says, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people. They which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. And the result, the Lord standeth up to plead and standeth to judge the people. Now, folks, God made man the head of the home. He ordained two offices for the local church, pastor and deacon. They were to be offices held by men. It's a sign of weakness, and we see it in, in the book of Revelation chapter 2, when that woman Jezebel, the prophetess, leads them astray in the local churches of the modern era in which we live, of the, the church age era. And they were duly warned. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he, he, God holds the men responsible for the breakdown of the local church. 
as well as the breakdown of the home. If you are a saved man, and you back down from the way of righteousness and the leadership that God has given you in the home, it'll be a matter of shame at the coming of Christ. You must be a godly man for your wife. You may, must be a godly man for your children and the home. Now, God has designed for men to be the pastors in the local church. As a pastor, as a man, I cannot allow, for example, let me just say this. A man should not allow a son to take over and run the home and overturn his decisions. Any of you dads are like that, you are weak. You are weaklings. The children don't run the home, you do. If they're going to run the home, then they pay the bills. Stops that in a hurry, okay? And by the way, don't forget the prodigal son. When he left his dad, his dad did not go out and, oh, poor guy, now he's eating there with the hogs. Man, I've got to get him, I've got to stack his refrigerator up and I've got to get him a nice apartment and I just got to take care of him. Poor guy, he's going through all this. No, you don't help your kids to continue in sin and rebellion against God. You know, a lot of times parents say, well, that's just not loving them to do it that way. No, it's not loving them to provide that for them to sin because you're going to make it worse for them in eternity. Stand up. Why not being an adult for a change? Lead your home the way God would have you to lead. Cardsandletters.com. Just keep it coming to there, okay? Now, as a pastor, I cannot allow other men in the church to take us away from his holiness and righteousness and the doctrine of God to become a contemporary culture, or should I say a contemporary circus, which is more accurate. And folks, I've got to stand on the word of God and God charges me with that responsibility. Now, in James chapter 3 verse 1, we read this. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, masters looking at teachers. And, you know, as a teacher, pastor, what he's looking at there, he says, we receive the greater condemnation, so you better really think this through. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you. Well, who, who has the rule over you? Well, verse 7 goes on further. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation or their way of life. Now, he says the pastor, which he's put in the Bible, so, so forth, as as the one he's put there in the church, the leader, the head of the church. And of course, Christ is the head. He's the founder of the church. And, and the pastor is his under-shepherd. But what I'm trying to say is this. In that position, my responsibility is, according to uh, verse 7, is to 
teach you the word. Them that have ruled over you have spoken unto you the word of God. Now, what is the end of their conversation? What is the end of, con- of the conversation for that person that has preached and taught the word of God to you? What is the end of that? Verse 17, same chapter, where he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, if I don't preach as it is to men as they are, I don't teach God's word as it is regardless of the society, if I don't preach it, then my condemnation is going to be greater than what you would have if you disobeyed it. But I never preached it. You see, a rapture awaits for we who are saved. I believe this passage of Bible, you know, and I gave an illustration that Mike Ellison told of of the man that actually got fired for his sermon. My attitude from the very first has been, they're probably going to fire me one day. I thought it'd be about two years, not 30-something years that we are already, you know. But nonetheless, I felt like God has to take care of me, but the worst men can do is kill me or fire me, but they can't destroy my soul. So you've got to trust God. got to trust God. Now, what I'm saying is this. One day... I'm going to give an account before God about did I preach it or did I not preach it. Some, whether it's some sin or something that we're supposed to do, something we're not supposed to do, did I preach it or not preach it. That is the thing that if I'm going to be ashamed before God or I'm going to have joy before God, then that is the thing that becomes my most important duty as your pastor is to teach and preach the word. Now, do I need to witness? Yes. Do I need to do other things? Yes. But the most important thing I need to do is preach and teach the word. I need to study the word of God. They even formed deacons so that the apostles could give themselves to the study and the ministering of the word of God. That's how important it is. Now, so let's say, That's my accountability, and it is according to the Bible. What is your accountability? That what I've taught and preached, whether it's something you need to do, something you need to take away from your life, something else, you need to react accordingly. Now, you say, well, I wasn't there. I certainly didn't hear him preach that. But let's say that you could have been here. Well, no, I'm not going to come back on Sunday night. I'm not going to be there on Wednesday night. That's my day to rest. That's my time to rest. Don't you know I work all the time? And I'm just going to take it easy. Now, if you could be there, people get sick, they can't be there. They're out of town, they can't be there. But, if you can be there, and you won't, you're still accountable for what was preached here and taught here. What do I say in almost, not every invitation, but most invitations? You make Central Baptist Church a matter of prayer. You must be saved. You must be baptized by immersion. And you may, must make it a matter of prayer. And what, why do you say a matter of prayer? Because I want you to be in the church where God wants you to be. It's not for me. It's for the Lord. And understand, 
it's not even everything I say. It's what does the Lord say. I've got a responsibility to preach a word. And when I get away from the word, then what I say is vain. So it's important that you understand this is the word of God and we must preach it. Now, a rapture does await us and you'll either be ashamed or confident at his appearing. So we need to have our home. We need to have our church. We need to have our government right. Now, not only do we see the warning about women, but next we see the woeful war of, on the weak. He says, thy gates of thy land here in our text, verse 13, shall be set wide open unto my, thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. This tells us something about the feminizing of men. Because the men that made up their army abandoned the city and left them and the children behind in order to save their own necks at a time when they should have stood and tried to defend the, the, the women and the children. They fled for their life. Now, I've said some hard things that probably some ladies in this world would not like already. But it's not true of real women in God's sight that are godly women of virtue and faith. Now, if you're not that, it may offend you. But if you're a woman of virtue and faith, then that ought to be just encouragement. Media, education, entertainment, society seems to mock and criticize and make the woman who is godly and submitted to the will of God and his decision to create woman, to make her a helpmeet for her husband, they seem to hate her. The world paints her as demented, ignorant, or as some might say, a deplorable. But the godly woman is actually the woman of strength in God's eyes, fulfilling God's committed potential for her life. And these short, well, in Buck's case, 100 years, but these short 70 years that we normally have will seem nothing compared to the greatness of the glory that woman will enjoy in heaven. Well, these others if they are saved, are saved so as by fire. Now, this is Satan's design. That's the way he's designed it. It's a shame when Christian men and women give up their God-given position in life to satisfy the lust and doctrines of Satan and his groups. I'm tired of sissy men that will not stand up for the holiness and righteousness of God, even in their own homes, let alone in their communities. Now, folks, we're accountable to God. There is a day of judgment coming. If you're unsaved, there's a white throne judgment. If you're saved, there's a judgment seat of Christ, and some will be ashamed at that judgment seat of Christ. But when we get God's order of creation wrong, then we open the floodgates for our homes, our governments to be weakened. 
And it won't be long until the walls are burned, the walls of integrity, the walls of morality, the walls of holiness and godliness and love. They'll be burned, destroying your homes, destroying your marriages, destroying governments as a result. Consider that the ones who defeated Nineveh came in and leveled it and destroyed it so it no longer exists today. Wicked, evil men. 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 They will come in. They will strip and shame those ladies before all publicly and their children will be dashed in pieces. While the men have run to let them fend for themselves. Look, we've got, you've got Merkel in Germany, you've got May in England and uh, others and other governments. And yet those governments seem to be going downhill, weakening governments. I'm not down on those people. Probably for those countries, thankfully, somebody stood up because there wasn't, there are too many sissy men to stand. Somebody stood up. They tried to do something for them. Many of those are weak. The enemy is destroying so much of Europe. Then on the other hand, there's the Islamics who make women objects of subjugation to their lust, to their whims, give them hardly any more honor than they would a dog. Instead of giving them the love and honor that God wants them to have for their spouses in marriage. In the tribulation, the Antichrist will be a man who rises in the European sector. I believe that he's a Jew, to be honest with you, of the tribe of Dan. But that's, that's my opinion from things I study in the Bible. But I don't say that that is settled doctrine. But nonetheless, he'll be a strong man and women will respect and feminized men will fear him. I want you to listen. I want to go over these verses quickly here, but it's from uh, the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. There it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad with exceeding joy. In other words, payday's coming. Accounting day is coming. Keep eternity and heaven. Keep it all with the rewards thereof or the loss of reward. Better keep that set in your heart. Don't compromise truth for a false peace that this world promises that lets, leaves you empty when you stand before the Almighty, you're going to live forever. Whether in heaven or hell, you're going to live forever. But this life is when you're going to make what that eternal life is going to be. He goes on in verse 14, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now think about this. We, we told you about some of the men that died or were 
greatly persecuted in the Bible for the cause of Christ. You read the Fox's Books of Martyrs, you'll find that. You'll, you'll find going on today, there's much persecution of Christians. Media won't report it if it's a Christian, but they'll report other things, make big deals out of it. But that, they, they don't want you to know that Christians are being persecuted worldwide. But Romans 8, 17 and 18 says this, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, if, isn't if a conditional word? If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Don't you think that those people that were beheaded, burnt in cages, and other things for the cause of Christ. Don't you think that that is a terrible thing, to a great suffering? I do. To see your children killed in front of your eyes if you won't reject Jesus Christ? Isn't that a great suffering? He says it's not even worthy in its greatness to be compared to the greatness of the glory that you'll have in heaven for standing true. What is that greatness like that it can make that seem minute? I, I have no idea. I can't grasp that. But I believe it. Because God said it and God never lies. Never, never, never. So, yeah, you can be saved, but so as by fire, the Bible says. You're not going to share in the glory, but you will be there. Let's go on. But let none of you, in verse 15, suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Isn't that interesting? Murderer, thief, and evildoer. All of us say that's bad. But somebody that's a busybody has got to go around and telling things and looking out things. Look, somebody can visit the church, join the church, and there's going to be somebody on Facebook to check them out. They won't know if everything's true or not, but they'll report it as true. That is a busybody. That is one that's on the level of a murderer, an evildoer, and, and a thief. So watch out for that person because they're trying to steal the reputation of people that love God. Verse 16, yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Why do things happen to churches? Why do things happen to Christians? Because judgment starts there. But it's not going to be as bad there as it is for those without Jesus Christ because what happens to them is hell. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the, God, the ungodly and the sinner appear? Revelation 20, 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's where they appear. Wherefore, let him that them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Oh, my friend, this calls you to dynamic faith. By that I mean a faith that sticks to the word regardless of the cause. That sticks to the word regardless of the cost. You stick with the word and... and 
You say, this is the way I'm going to live. This is the way I'm going to do it because God is right. Man is wrong. Believe God. Believe God. Look. They're saying now, there was all this pollution we're doing. Oh, it's terrible. Within 100 to 200 years, our atmosphere is going to be destroyed. And really, it, it's going to destroy that thing that keeps you down. Gravity. Now, there's coming a day when we're going to break gravity if you're saved. You'll be called up to be with the Lord. All oh, the weather's changing. I get on my app on my phone and I'll look see what the weather's going to be for the next five days. If you're betting on it coming out that way, you're going to lose almost every time. And guys that can't predict the weather for five days in a row exactly right, how in the world are they telling us we're going to be destroyed in 200 years? Now, I can tell you something that is right. Death and hell will be cast to the lake of fire. And if your name is not written in the book of life, you're going to be cast there. And the only way you're going to get your name in the book of life is to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to admit, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. But if you're a Christian... You're a Christian. The call of faith is obedient to God and His Word, meaning you must be in the Word, live holily, above your fleshly desires, and let Christ be all in all. That's the call of God. That's the truth. It may hurt, but in the long run, if you'll abide by it, Great is your reward in heaven. Not because I say so, but because Jesus tells us so. Decision time. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, we've, we're going to have people down here when we start singing that will open a Bible and show you how you can know that if you died today that heaven's your home. We can't do that if you don't come. On the other hand, as a Christian... You've got children on their way to hell. You've got grandchildren on their way to hell. Or they're far away from God. And you hardly pray for them at home. And when you ought to be not only praying for them at home, but coming to this altar and say, my children are right with God. I want them to be right with God. My country's going to hell. I want my country to have a revival. Come and, and make things right. Be one that stands in the gap and makes up the hedge for your country, for your home, for eternity's sake. What are you going to do with the truth? Let's bow our heads, please.